You want to leave a legacy for your children. You want to leave a foundation where they are better off than the generation that came before your generation. Well, then that means that we have to be very intentional about creating those networks of support, of centering them and creating spaces where the parent can flourish so that the child can flourish. The care that we provide for mothers, helping them to feel seen and supported, not only changes the way they internalize their self-worth, but it changes the entire trajectory of the perceived value that they internalize and pass on to their children. My guest this week is working tirelessly to ensure that these basic human rights are given to all mothers and parents, no matter their race, location, or socioeconomic status. Chanel Porsche Albert is the founder and chief executive director of Ancient Song Doula Services, which is a reproductive health organization focused on providing resources and full spectrum doula services to women of color and marginalized communities throughout New York City and Northern New Jersey. Her work in birth and reproductive justice spans research and methods of care of marginalized people and people of color, bringing a human rights framework into birthing rooms and institutional reform and accountability measures within healthcare to address implicit bias and racism. And realistically, taking care of and supporting mothers has a deeply positive impact on individuals, on families, and on society at large. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and all of you caregivers out there, I am so grateful for everyone who has been so engaged, supportive, and vocal throughout the two years of this podcast, Securely Attached. And I am so excited that with your help, Securely Attached made it onto the top 100 chart for Apple Podcasts and is in the 2% of most downloaded podcasts worldwide. Wow, I am so thankful to you. If you want to celebrate this major milestone with me, one massive way you can help me is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews not only help me know what topics you're interested in having me explore deeper, but also helps me get some amazing experts on the show to share their wisdom with you. And so if you could take a quick minute to leave a review, it would be so amazing and I am so grateful for it. And since I could not have achieved this massive milestone without you, I wanted a way to express my appreciation. So I'm giving anyone that leaves an Apple podcast review a copy of my Banished Burnout weekly calendar for adults and one for kids, absolutely free. All you have to do to get this calendar is to DM me the word review at Dr. Sarah Bren on Instagram. I cannot thank you enough for helping us climb the charts and I cannot wait to see where we're going next. So keep those reviews coming and don't forget to DM me the word review to get your free Banish Burnout calendar. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. 
Hi, I'm really excited today to welcome our guest Chanel Porsche Albert. You, I thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, so you're you are the chief executive director of Ancient Song Doula Services. You are an activist. You do really amazing work. Um, and I want to talk all about that today. Before we dive in, can you share with the listeners like how you got into this work, like a little bit about your story? Yeah. Um, so got into this work because of my first child, um, who just turned 15 on Friday. Happy birthday. Um, so I've been doing this for 15 years, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I had a wonderful home birth um, with a midwife and a doula. Um, and that just completely changed my whole perspective on life. Um, I was like, why don't more women know about like these options, these reproductive health options that you can have your birth in a hospital or you can go to a birthing center or you can go to and have a home birth and, um, had, yeah, an amazing experience, um, at home. Um, when I was seven weeks postpartum, I had my son in tow and I took a doula training and um, it just, I was completely and totally transformed. Um, the ways in which um, I was around Black midwives and doulas and healers and herbalists and other mothers. And as being a mom, coming into motherhood, um, as someone who I lost my mother at a young age, at the age of 14, um, she had an asthma attack. Um, and, um, you know, when you're, when you're a, a mother without a mother to ask questions to, um, it can be a little scary, right? So like on top mm -hmm. of like just the regular motherhood things that you're thinking about, like, you know, I want to make sure I'm a good parent and I do all of the things, um, you know, not having that guidance, that space offered me that, that reassurance that I was okay, right? That I had all of these folks there that, just kind of swooped in and was like, child, give me the baby and you'll be all right. And <laughs> you'll be fine. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I got into this work based on that, took a doula training. I started to attend births for free. Um, cause I was just starting out and I was like, listen, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to, not like, I don't know what I'm doing, doing, but I know I knew what it meant to be a mother. I knew what it meant to feel centered and wanted to offer other people those experiences. And so um, as I was doing birth work, um, I was working with low income people of color um, and I started to see the ways in which they were treated at birth. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, because I came into this work, I think, um, very green Mm -hmm. Um, and very like, you know, thinking, well, there's no way that racism is permeating through birth. Uh huh. Um, I came into it with this idealism of we're all human beings. We are birthing children. And when we're talking about centering pregnant women and birthing people and, and, and parents, um, that's what it's all about. Right. Like all of that other stuff is like the stuff that happens out in the outside world, but it could possibly right. be happening in birth. Like this is a protected space. This is right. something sacred. This is it something is that's protected from that. Yes, exactly. Like, the, like, so I, I was, um, catapulted into a world that I 
um, where I realized like that wasn't necessarily the case. And Mm so um, I started witnessing, you know, the illegal drug testing of low income parents. I started to see the criminalization at birth of, um, you know, a a partner just trying to help their, their partner advocate for themselves and um, having like security guards or police officers called on them or, you know, child protective services um, being used as a tool to get people to conform to medical procedures that they didn't necessarily want, right? Because because historically that is what has been um, used, you know, as, as a way to get people to conform. And so um, seeing the ways in which people who are on Medicaid would wait for five hours to be seen for 10 minutes to come out of the visit and not know what was going on or being mm-hmm. in those spaces and um, having the person who was gestating completely dis, like ignored and I have all the questions come at me as if like I'm the person who's carrying the child. Um, and so just, just based on that, um, I put a call out on a listserv and I welcomed folks into my home um, and I fed them and I created a safe space and I listened to moms. I really listened to what they said that they needed for themselves, what it meant for them to center their parenting um, I fed them because I think everything happens over a good meal in a kitchen. Like we we know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> when you feed a person, you're feeding their soul, right? Where you're creating kinship, um, it eases tension. And so I would I would cook and I would create space um, and I would listen. Um, and it got to be so much that I had to move it from my home. Um yeah, and, and and to get another space. And I mean, that's organically just how it started, just really wanting to, seeing a problem in a situation and just wanting to create space for folks to be, for people to feel like they were seen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think so many times we go through life without uh, people seeing like who we are, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And not understanding that. Um and it wasn't for me necessarily to try to understand, but it was just for me to let them know, like someone genuinely cared about their well-being. Yeah, um, and that's what the mission has always and continues to be. It's interesting because when you were talking about your, you got into this work, not because you ex- had this really hurdle, you know, this big hurdle to overcome or this really awful experience. You actually got into this work initially because you had this really supportive experience and supported experience. And it was almost like when the veil was removed that you were like, oh, whoa, that's not what most people are getting. Right. Why? Why is this not happening? It, it just, for me, it's like you, I, I have this sense that you brought in this immense amount of hope and optimism versus, you know, something more like coming from a place of like anger and frustration and having to fix. I imagine there's plenty of that in the journey. Right. Right. But I'm curious, like when you first were like, I'm pregnant, I want to have a home birth. How did you decide that? How did you, how did you know that that's what you wanted? How did you pick that path? So um, I have a younger sister who um, had a baby at a young age. And I remember going to the hospital with her, like our whole entire family, (laughs) family was there. (laughs) Um, and, um, I just remember just 
being in a space and being like, why is it so like cold? Like, why is it so sterile here? Like, it just, I don't know. It didn't have like an energy that I was like, well, that's how you need to bring in children to the world. This was a private hospital. My, you know, just to give you some background, like I grew up in a middle-class household. um, And um, yeah. And so like, this wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't a space it was a space where people were being centered by like private insurance, private care, all of the things, but still it was like, this is not it. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, of course was living my life and um, I was working in corporate America and happened to be in New York city and union square and come upon a natural birth expo. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. Like, this is, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh-huh. And so there were folks there, they have all kinds of tables and information. And I happened to come upon a, a black midwife and a doula. And I said to her, I was like, wow, I was like, I didn't even know black midwives still existed because everything that I had previously read was in the context of like historical, right? Like, oh, back in the day, this is what that used to happen. And yes. she was like, no, like we exist. This is like a reality. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I, you know, I held on to the information and I was like, well, if anybody I know gets pregnant, like I can give them this information because I wasn't married. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about being pregnant. Um, And so I held on to it. Literally, I met my husband like two years later while buying tofu in a health food store. Um, And and, um, and we went to a regular OBGYN. I had a black woman, a woman of color. um, And I was just like, you know, I thought like, oh, okay, if I had someone who looked like me, like we're good. Um, and it was like, no, that's not it. You know, like, cause she mm-hmm. still, she didn't have any energy. You know, like there's people that you meet just organically and you're like, yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have good vibes with them. You have good energy. Like they're easy to talk to. Like things yes. just flow. Right. Yes. And intuitively that was not this person. I was like, ma'am, I don't know what's wrong with you, but something is wrong. <laughs> and so, so I remembered I had this information and I went on to, now I'm about to date myself. Um, I went on to MySpace and I found that midwife and that doula. That's and, amazing. Yeah, and, and it was like the care that they gave me was just amazing. Like, you know, again, as someone who was going into parenting and who like didn't have their mom to ask questions to, um, she not only answered my questions, but she answered my husband's questions. Mm. She made us feel like we were being centered in our in yeah. our experience as to like, oh no, your parents now. Like parenting doesn't happen after yeah. the baby comes out. Um, and really centering that conversation and 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 that made me feel I had no reservations about having a home birth. I was just like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like Yeah. yeah. It just fit for you, right? It just fit. And for some people I know it doesn't, and that's okay. But all I think all folks deserve the opportunity to birth in a way that feels good to them. Yeah. Right? And I think there's also like, like you know, I, I had a, my births in a hospital, but I had a doula. And having a doula was probably the most significant choice that I made in my, in my pregnancy. And I didn't realize it until afterwards. But like I, upon reflection, I was like, wow if I hadn't had Megan with me, so much would have been different because having that person to like, I remember when my son was, when I was having my son, when I was in labor, um, 
something had happened. He was, his heart rate dropped really low and they started doing all this stuff to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And it was, if I had been there with just me and my husband, I think I would have probably gotten panicked and everything would have kind of gotten worse. And what happened was Megan was there and she basically was just this voice in my ear explaining what was happening and telling me all you got to do right now is breathe, get your breath stabilized back to like as much as you can and just focus on that. And I did. And I avoided having, you know, complications. Everything went back to the, to normal, like everything back went kind of stabilized. Right. And like another thing you said that I thought was like super, that I related to so much was like, when I told my husband I wanted to have a doula, he's like, what is that one? And (laughs) two, and when I explained it, he was like, this, then what's my role then? Right. Mm -hmm. If, if this person is there to support you, who, what am I supposed to do? And he was a little bit like felt displaced by having a doula in this relationship, right. Or in this, in this experience. And when Megan came to meet with us, I remember she, she spoke to him more than she spoke to me and not in a trying to convince you kind of way, but in a really authentic, like, here's what I see my role is. And it's to support you, to support her, like, you know, and he felt so included and, and centered too, in a way that I, that afterwards he's like, okay, yeah, this feels like a really good decision. And not because of anything I did to like convince him. And I just think like, I, I don't know, I think there's so many ways to find support in the birth and the pregnancy and the birth and the postpartum and the parenthood. I think it's just so critical, like you said, for people to ha- know all the options so they right. can pick from the full menu. Right, right. Because I mean, it's not, I don't think it's my responsibility to convince someone to have a particular type of birth. But I do think it is the responsibility of all of us to provide information to folks so that they can feel like they're making an informed decision about what's happening to them, mm-hmm. right? Um, or no, I shouldn't say to them, what's happening with them, right? Because it is something that- distinction. Right. Language is important, right? Yeah. And how we choose to center it, even within that, um, it, 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 it plays a role in how you're able to center your parenting. Like now as a mother of six, um, you know, it has- allowed me to parent in a more efficient way, right? To understand what it means to center my children's voices. You know, my first mm-hmm. pregnancy, yes, I had a home birth, but I have identical twin daughters. And the, that second pregnancy was a hospital birth um, where I had a cesarean. Um, and so that was a totally different experience, right? Mm-hmm. And also understanding like, what did it mean to navigate that system? So like, I end up, you know, I'm like, I become like the doula at the end of, at the end of the hall. Like, oh, that's the doula in the room. She's okay. She's good. Like, you know, and knowing, <laughs> knowing the staff and, you know, um, advocating for myself in that space, but having a certain level of education to be able to do so, right? And so what does that mean though, then to translate that to other folks, you know, and allow them to be able to have that level of information so they can center themselves in their, in those spaces. So even if you don't have a doula in a room, because everybody doesn't want a doula and that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But I think that everyone should have information, to, you know, to again, be able to center themselves in whatever their birthing experience is. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, you know, 
in addition to all the work you do as a doula and getting people this information so that they can make informed decisions about how they want their birth to, you know, to who they want by their side and how they want to be, how they want to participate, you know, at what level. You also do a lot of work around, you know, helping support mothers who are not getting the medical care that they need, right? So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the work that you're doing in terms of activism and trying to help create more voice for women who are, and, and birthing people who like are not being represented and who's kind of getting f- a bit failed by the healthcare system? Yeah. So um, the advocacy work is really centered on a human rights framework, right? What does it mean to bring... Um, human rights into the birth room and, and throughout the reproductive life course, right? Understanding, like in my doula work, I understood like, oh, okay, so that person who's giving birth is bringing their whole life experience with them into that birth room, right? Um, so if they've experienced previous sexual trauma, if they have had, you know, if there's things going on with body image, all of these things, right? Now you bring in, you, you, you compile that with like, housing insecurity, food insecurity, maybe there's substance usage. Maybe we're talking about someone who was undocumented or um, someone who was on Medicaid, low income individuals, literacy level, like thinking about all of those things. Well, then what does it mean for someone to, again, be able to make an informed decision about their care? Mm-hmm. Well, what I realized was as a doula being in that room, I was limited in the ways in which I was able to really center that person, right? Because I could be an advocate, but I also don't want to take away the voice of the individual who is actually birthing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a distinction between um, kind of being this mediator between understanding what it is you want for yourself, but also understanding institutional policies and practices and the ways in which they also inform how your birth could go possibly, Mm -hmm. right? On top of racism, bias, and all of the other things, right? That we have that can happen. And so my work has really centered on what does it mean to create systemic level changes where we're looking at the historical implications of education around or lack of education around what does it mean to center people of color and black working people? Um, what does it mean to, and when I say education, I'm talking about medical school education, right? Mm-hmm. Because when we think about the history or the evolution of healthcare, as it pertains to people of color, you have a timeline of the enslavement of African people. You have the reconstruction era where black men are allowed to vote then they lose that right to vote. Then you have the Jim Crow era, which lasts for about 40 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have the civil rights era and you have people who are fighting for equality and access, right? Um, Okay, so you get equality, you get, or you get access, but then the folks who are in those spaces are never given education as to what it means now to serve those populations of people that historically they have been taught you don't serve them, right? Mm-hmm. So now you are inserting a, 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 a people into a culture that has, again, historically excluded that population from access to services and saying, okay, now treat them without having any kind of remedy. And so mm-hmm. um, there's the education part. There is understanding how our healthcare system in and of itself is, is, is fragmented, 
and a lot of it works in silos. Maternal health as a whole across the United States is inequitable for anyone. Right. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't serve anybody. <laughs> it's, it's not great. It's really it's not, not great. It's not great. It's not great. Right. So like black or white, it's not serving any of us. Right. Um, you have obstructive violence. You have then racism, bias. You have all of the other things. Right. You have if you're in the South, you have a lack of access to healthcare services in rural areas. You have doctors who are moving out of those areas because they're not being supported. You have hospitals that are closing down. You have folks who because you have good intention individuals who are coming from various different backgrounds um, who are medical residents who really want to work within communities, but are not giving the support that they need. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in looking at that, um, I'm looking at city, state and federal policies as to how we can break down these silos. What does it mean to, of course, center those who are most disenfranchised, but also look at the system as a whole and see how we can better support all folks um, who are everybody who's like, if you have the capacity to get pregnant, if you're a woman, you're getting pregnant, then you should be able to have access to equitable health care. You know, like you should be able to go to the OB or the midwife that you want to go to. If you want to see a family physician, like, you know, I don't think even people know that like, you know, family medicine doctors, a lot of them, they trained to be able to support folks in, in birth. Um, and so just knowing one, one's options and being able to, to center folks. So yeah, yeah. My, my, my advocacy work is really centered on what you said initially was, you know, you came into this work um, kind of like centered in hope. And mm-hmm. that's my phrase. Like, what does it mean for us to center intergenerational hope? Right. And this is a theory that I've kind of come up with, which is, you know, sometimes people look at hope as being a weakness, or as being meaning like you're timid, but like you can be hopeful and powerful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that traditionally all individuals who have stood as stood for, for the rights of, of others, right. And centering their humanity and and common decency and morals and um, wanting to lift up community members, they live in the margins of that hope. And they, you know, they're creating that hope for other generations, right? And that's how it becomes intergenerational because our children see that. Yeah. You know, like our children see how we are intentionally or not intentionally censoring folks who are in need. You know, like when I'm walking with my children and we happen to see someone who is on the street who's homeless, you know, and they're asking for something, you know, I might not, not always give them money, but I'll feed you. Like, Mm -hmm. are you hungry? Let's go get something to eat. And my children have seen that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let's, you know, is there any way that I can connect you to the resources that you need? One of the things that we do at Ancient Song is, you know, we feed folks. Like, every month we donate, you know, we give out about 100 bags of groceries to everyone who's in the community. Pregnant, parenting, grandparents, aunties, like you know, understanding, like, that support is necessary. We, We give out diapers and wipes. Those things are expensive. We don't necessarily realize it all the time. But like when someone feels like they could be centered in their parenting or they have, again, uh, these this this I've given a little bit of assistance to help them. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it goes a long way in someone feeling like, OK, I'm a better parent. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. we. 
when we, because I always talk about this in terms of parenting, right? Like when we, our kids' sense of self is based on like what the world is reflecting back to them. It gets right. internalized. It gets, right. becomes their, the, the pieces that form their sense of self. Right. And just like with raising children, like becoming a mother, becoming a parent, it's a developmental process and it's a shift in our identity. And so if you think about it, like the way that we are receiving our reflection from the world, the way that people reflect our experience back to us gets encoded as part of that sense of self, that new identity that's being formed. And so if you're a a person who's having a kid and your doctor doesn't speak to you or answer your questions or dismisses your pain or you're, you know, you're not able to get support around getting the diapers or having paid time off from work. These are things that reflect back to us our worth. Right. <laughs> and in unintentionally or intentionally or unconsciously intentionally, right. like these are things that form our sense of value and sense of self as a parent. And so I love what you're saying, this idea that like, if you can reflect back to someone who's becoming a, a parent, a mother right. or a father, you have worth. I see you. I listen to you. I consider you, mm-hmm. all of you. That's going to come into their sense of self, which is then going to trickle down to the way they parent their child, to the confidence they bring to that relationship to their ability to like find delight in their child. And that we know is like a precursor to secure attachment, which creates a healthier, you know, outcome in the child who's then going to go become a parent one day possibly and do the same, right? Like these intergenerational patterns. We talk a lot about intergenerational transmission of trauma, but it's also intergenerational transmission of hope or of confidence or of positivity around these roles and it can shift, you know, it's amazing. It can. And, and it allows for, I, I think also, you know, when you center a mother, you're centering also a nation, right? You're centering what it means, how you value the, the folks that are in that, right? How you value, because the first touch point for every child is their parent, is their mother, mm-hmm. right? We always go to what? We go to mama when... You know, we, we hurt ourselves, we get a boo-boo, you want a hug, you want comfort, you want affection. That's your first form of affection. That's your first form of like discipline and structure, right? Of like, no, don't touch that. You're going to hurt yourself. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, and so, you know, when we when we choose to center um, parents, and I always say, I say postpartum is forever. Mm-hmm. Because also like looking outside of it uh, past this six week marker, right? And understanding like, you know, as you go through your transition of parenthood, you know, as your children are growing and developing, so are you, right? And what does it mean for you to have the necessary emotional, physical, and even spiritual support that you need in order for you to really parent in a meaningful way? Well, that means that you need to know that you have actual community it means it means that you want to know as you said like that someone sees you they're listening to your story right they're understanding you as the expert in your care right and so we're learning with right and being able to humble ourselves to the experience of of that um and it makes for a um responsive um healthcare framework that i think could actually work 
as mm-hmm. opposed to one that likes to methodology or use this methodology of a medical framework. Well, there's this, this, and this. And so that means that this is what, what needs to go for that for you. And it's like, no, everybody's body is different, you know, and, and, and how they choose to pair is also going to be different too. Right. And so like, we really need to, you know, give ourselves um, the opportunity to, to want to change that. And, that's just where the advocacy work comes comes in at. Like it's not. I live in I live in that in that that moment of hope um, all the time. Like I have to be. I have to be because I'm trying to create a foundation for those beautiful six children that I have um, <laughs> to know that people genuinely out there care. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that that's important. You know, you want to leave a legacy for your children. You want to leave a foundation where they are better off than the generation that came before your generation. Well, then that means that we have to be very intentional about creating those networks of support, of centering them um, and creating spaces where, you know, the parent can flourish so that the child can flourish. And you can't do that if we don't have certain systems in place. Yeah, I so agree. If there are parents listening who are like, okay, I want to... I want to rethink how I approach maybe this pregnancy or my future pregnancies, or I want to support people in my life who are having a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. like, what would you, what are some things that you would encourage people to consider? Ooh, um, what would I consider? I say I would, first I would consider just you as an individual, what does, you know, what is your vision for your birth? I don't think we ask ourselves that question enough. And I say that because that's the first question I usually ask folks when I'm dueling somebody. Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you see for your birth? And people usually like give me this quizzical look like, what do you mean? What do I see? Or what do you mean? What's my vision? Like, I vision myself going to the hospital. And, <laughs> and I have to say, like, well, you know, what do you want for you? Like, have you thought about that? You know, what do you want your parenting to look like? A lot of that will help to, when we ask ourselves those questions, it will help to dictate the space that you don't want to be in, right? And understanding, right? Um, what To understand what you do want. Um, I think it's also understanding what's available in your area, mm-hmm. right? And so like doing a, you know, doing a quick Google search, you know, what are your options? You know, can I have a home birth? Can I go to a birthing center? Do I want to, you know, go to a hospital? Um, and being able to make an informed decision about that. And so I, I usually say to folks, you know, you want to ask practical questions when you go into places. I know a lot of times insurance dictates where people will go, but also it's understanding like you have the right to interview the person that you're going to see, yes. you know what I mean? And so like everything starts with a question. And how do you feel about that? I ask doctors when I first come in, because they automatically assume that because you set up an appointment that you're going with them. And I'll like go in, I'll keep my clothes on. And I'll say, oh, so like, I just wanted to know a little bit more about you first before, you know, I physically like allowed you to do anything. And they're like, okay, what do you want to know? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your philosophy on birth? What does it look like if there's a medical emergency? You know, what are your hours outside of the times that you are on call? Like, you know, are you the one that's going to be giving birth to my child, you know, assisting me in that process or is it going to be someone else? Um, And so a lot of it has to do with one's individual philosophy, what it is you want for yourself. Um, Ask questions. I say go in with at least three questions every time you go somewhere 
mm-hmm. um, no matter what they are. And then, um, yeah, and just take it from there. You know, everything else is based on, I know it sounds crazy maybe, but intuition. Like, what is your intuition telling you? Is your intuition like, and listen to that, especially as mothers. Yeah. Like, yeah. We have to learn uh, to trust it. It's going to serve us. You have to trust it. it. Yeah. You have to, I think we can not listen to it, but we have it. Yes. Yes. And listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a reason why we have it. Um, And it, it, you know, it keeps us safe. It keeps our children safe. Um, Yeah. And then everything else is extra. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just a matter of like doing a Google search, finding what you're looking for. Um, I will say permission to have it. Yeah, and and use it and use it. Um, I have this uh, tech space that I co-founded with um, my um, my partner Amy Emma Brill. Um, It's called Just Birth Space, Mm -hmm. and Just Birth Space is literally it's a tech platform. People can text in; they can ask questions about anything um, at any stage Mm -hmm. of their journey. Um, You can also take classes, and so you can. You know, we have a new uh, a postpartum class for new parents. We have a postpartum class for seasoned parents. We have um, classes who for people who are currently pregnant and, you know, childbirth education classes. And you can drop in as many times as you want or you can come once and never come again. But it's a space that was um, created to really be able to um, help folks to feel safe about asking questions. And so like mm-hmm. they can share as much information as they want or as little information as they want um, and do it in a way that feels good to them. And so, um, you know, there are resources out there for folks to be able to use. And again, I feel like sometimes we become pregnant and it's like um, getting prepared to go to college. You know how you get like all these, <laughs> all of a sudden you get all these flyers and information and you like, you know, you gotta like, you know, you're going and you're scoping everything out and you're doing your, your hospital tours right. and all of that. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to feel that overwhelming. You know what I mean? Take take it one day at a time and um, yeah, and listen to your intuition. You'll be okay. That's very good advice. If people <laughs> want to like learn more about the the different, you know, resources that you share, whether it's Ancient Song Doula Services or this like tax space resource that you shared, wh- where can they find you? Um, so you can find us on Instagram. And so you can go to Instagram, you can go to ancient song um, and you can find out all things. If you want to get a doula, if you want education, if you want to take a doula training, um, if you have questions about anything regarding reproductive health. And again, that's across the reproductive life course. So like, you know, just had a baby thinking about having a baby in between babies you know, postpartum period, all the things. <laughs> you can go to uh, Just Birth Space and we're also on Instagram. And then if you just have general questions for me um, around like advocacy and policy and I don't know, parenting, I do talk about parenting and all the things in between. Um, you can check me out at Chanel underscore Porsche um, okay. on Instagram. I will put all links to all that in the show notes too so people can find it easily. But I so appreciate you coming on and sharing all this with us. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is great. Being able to feel understood and like you have the proper support to help you in your pregnancy, your postpartum, and into parenthood has a massive impact on the health of mothers and of the entire family system. It always struck me how new parents are sent home with a baby 
but are rarely offered support with what to actually do with respect to raising that child once they get home and get settled in and all of the sort of post-delivery support fades away. And while this is understandably a really overwhelming time for so many, I really have to emphasize it's not about having all the answers. It's actually about being able to tune into your child and your relationship and knowing where you can turn for information when you do need some additional knowledge. I know just how important it is for all new parents to get that level of support. So I'm offering a completely free masterclass aimed at helping new parents feel confident in their parenting journey right from the start. You will walk away from this masterclass with tools that you can immediately put into practice to challenge self-doubt, to stop panic Googling, and to find the ease in the first year of parenthood. So go to drsarahbren.com forward slash confident parenting to sign up for free. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash confident parenting. And until next week, don't be a stranger.